0: This is a series, a series for financial advisors. We offer easy to implement marketing and practice management advice. This is The Stephen and Kevin Show.
1: Welcome back, everybody. Episode number 104 of The Stephen and Kevin Show. Today, we're going to be talking about 10 service principles.
0: Yeah, it should be an interesting episode. We decided we each come to the table with five different service principles that we think financial advisors would benefit from hearing. Um, But... We may have some overlap, I'm curious. I, I don't know what you brought to the table. You don't know what I brought to the table.
1: No, coming in blind, but I think it'll be good. Different perspectives. And I think that's what, uh you know, as we've talked about and prepared for this session, you know, service is different to different people based on our own experiences. True. And what you perceive as good service may not be exactly what I perceive as good service. What I value is not necessarily what you value. Yep. You know, um, our experiences as, as, as consumers shape that, but sure. also our, our experiences as, business people that our current job shape that our previous job shape that and we had a good discussion prior to this about you know past jobs and what uh you know what they taught us about service
0: yeah and, and you and i both used to our first jobs for both of us were working at a car wash right i worked at the santa fe car wash in riverside california which during the summer i'm telling you it was hot as hell at that car wash it was tough it was not easy work
1: yeah no i agree i think uh for me, wheels and bumpers, quality establishment. But uh, yeah, you learn a lot out there. You learn a lot about you know trying to it's plain, you know earning tips, yes. which is interesting for the first time in your life. Yep. And you know, you know you learn to be a better tipper. I think than you would have if you never had a service job.
0: Definitely. Did you? Um, so I don't know how your car wash was set up, but did you work in the front or the back? Um, for us, it was like, there was a front area where you like vacuumed and then there was like a back area and in the back areas where you would like polish up the car, shine it up. And that's where you got the tips. Yeah.
1: You don't want to, the vacuums. That's, that's I, the I started
0: working. on vacuums and I got promoted <laughs> <laughs> this is sucky work is out on purpose. Was, uh, was that, was that a joke? Um, <laughs> but one thing I did learn from that is that, you know, once I got promoted to the back where I could make some tips, big timer. um, you know, they, they want you to like pump out the cars, right? Like quick. I feel like I learned that I don't need to do that. I actually make more money if I slowed down and I would, I would figure out whose car I had. Right. And I would try and park the car by them and I would just take my time. I remember this guy came up to me once and he said, man, your car must be meticulous because I was working on his, like, you know, I was spending way a lot, lot of time on it, but got, I got some really good tips that way.
1: Yeah, I think the incentive is for the car wash itself to pump them through, because that's how they make money. Sure. And the incentive for the employee there is to not do that.
0: I- exactly. Yeah. So
1: Love it. And then I moved on to the uh, wide world of debt collections in college.
0: Mm, really, really good service industry.
1: Yeah, well, you know, you learn from the good and bad. <laughs> like, you know, when you think of debt collections, you think of like the worst in customer service. Right. Because that's kind of what it is. Yeah, like you don't have a lot of empathy. You're kind of there for that mission of collecting money from people. It's a full
0: day of confrontation. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah.
1: But but you learn a lot from that, too, as to like how you should not really treat people. I mean, it's not like that's a a nasty job to where you're being mean to people that you call. But it's not like you're you're, you know, being empathetic, being a great listener, really trying to help them work through their problems. The mission is kind of like I need you to pay your bill. Right. So it's just a weird dynamic. Like you wouldn't, I'll put it this way, as a financial advisor, you wouldn't go to the call center of debt collectors uh, to recruit your service talent right. in your office.
0: Oh, that's man, that's, a, that's a really good point. I mean, I, that takes a special type of person to be a debt collector, I feel like.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah for sure. But uh, it paid
0: well, I'm, I'm assuming?
1: Yeah, like they, I think the average tenure there was like two or three months. Uh, <laughs> so they had to pay well. How
0: long did you stick around?
1: I was there for a couple of years. Okay. I,
0: I waited tables. I did that for a while. Um, I loved doing that. That was a, and that one's all about service, right? That experience, obviously the food has to be good, but that, that that whole experience when someone's coming in, a customer's coming in, is like, it's really important. And so I feel like I learned, I learned a lot there. And I'm always, um, I always admire people who've worked in that industry because it's, um, it's not easy. You're dealing with the public on a regular basis. You're dealing with people who just do all kinds of crazy things. Uh, I remember people eating like their full dessert and then saying it was no good and they need their money back. I'm like, you just, you just ate it all, right? Like, you know what I mean? Like you deal with that kind of stuff. I remember one time I was holding a, a tray of Pellegrino, you know, like the bottled water. This is one of those moments that just sticks in your mind. And I was holding this tray and I was walking it out to a table. And as I took one off, they all slid off <laughs> and they just came crashing down and they landed on this lady's foot. And it was, I'm telling you, it was one of those moments where I just wanted to leave. Yeah, I was going to
1: say, did you just go home after no,
0: that? No, I wanted to leave. But, you know, I, you learned about how to deal with those types of issues and, and that kind of stuff.
1: Yeah, and um, I think, you know, relating back to what we do professionally now in working with financial advisors, you see service at a, at a much higher level. Yes, I would say across the board, financial advisor service models. We were giving funny examples of yeah. car washes and debt yeah. collections. You all are naturally pretty good at this because I think it has been reinforced over the years that this sure. is really important to retaining clients, giving them a great experience, having them refer you to friends. So I would say generally, this industry is pretty, pretty good at it. This is this industry is great at it. But, but I would say in terms of us all you know, working on our craft and us all getting better, some teams, some organizations are way more methodical about this, way more consistent with their service than others.
0: Yeah, and when they're bringing on new team members, right, they're training them in a certain way to be, you know, to elevate their level of service. So I think that's important as well. So even if you're a financial advisor right now and you're listening and you're thinking, I'm really good at that. Like, that's something I'm great at. What about your other team members? How good are they?
1: Yeah, I would like to point out that some of you listening right now are lousy at this. Ooh, you're probably right. Just for the sake of numbers, it's a bell curve. There is. There is someone there's listening right now
0: who's it. like, ooh, I'm not good at that.
1: I call There's somebody listening to this right now who's like, I call my clients back, generally. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, uh, not many of you, True. but um, I'm sure there's a couple. But what we're trying to do is elevate it to a place to where the service that you provide is planned for, it is written down, mm-hmm. it is executed, you and your team is held accountable for doing it. And you could write a thesis on it if you were in grad school. That's mm. what we're looking for. So the the best teams that we've ever worked with from a service standpoint are always refining. They're always getting a little bit better incorporating one idea or another. Hopefully today's uh, podcast is helpful in that uh, regard. We'll move on from uh, talking about our childhood and earning tips. But it's so much fun. On it's, fun to,
0: it's fun to talk about that stuff, Steven. It is.
1: When well, you look back at, uh, at, at pictures, like the one that was flashed up on the, the screen a moment ago, it was like almost 20 years ago.
0: Yeah, and, and by the way, if you're listening and you don't see it, it's like Stephen sitting back in a chair with his hat on backwards, you know, twirling a pen in his hand and just collecting debts.
1: You know, I was not only an excellent <laughs> debt collector, Kevin, I was pretty cool doing it. I you bet, know, I bet. Somehow over the last 20 years I've lost that, but, you know. <laughs>
0: Actually, I, I feel like that is, uh, again, sorry not to, not to talk about that job so much, but it's just such a unique job. I feel like it's one that numbs you to having to have tough conversations. so
1: Yeah, for sure. It's how I met my wife as well. Oh, wow. She collected debts.
0: Wow. Did she stick around
1: as long as you? She did. Jeez. She probably stuck around because of me. But uh, Okay. Now we know the story. Don't ask her. She may have a different opinion on that. All right. All right so I'm going to start it off today. And we're again, we're talking about 10 service principles, unless some of these overlap, since we didn't pre-plan for them to be different. In that case, it'll be nine or eight. Uh, but we're starting with the notion of 10. Yep. Uh, my first one is that, you should treat your team like you want them to treat your clients. So we work with, uh, we have worked over the years with financial advisors who would outwardly say, oh, I'm great with my clients. My clients love me. But you see the way that they interact with their team and you think, gosh, that's hard to believe. Yeah. Like, are you able to change your persona that quickly from barking at team members mm-hmm. uh, to all of a sudden being a, uh, you know, Yes, ma'am. Yes, sir. A how can I help you? Is there anything else we could be doing better type of a persona?
0: Yeah. And are they going to want to do that? Right. Like if I'm a team member who's getting barked at, which I think is a great that's a great word. um, Am I going to want to treat clients that well? Right. I think it funnels down, trickles down.
1: Yeah. If you view and this is uh, typically the temperament of this kind of team leader. Mm -hmm. It's somebody who views themselves as a type A decisive. Yes. Get her done. And you see a lot of turnover in those teams. Yes, because they're they're not doing things like, you know, their good behavior with clients is taking an interest in their clients, learning about them, uh, an occasional small gift, spending time over meals, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Their behavior with their teammates is more uh, uh, their teammates is more command and control. Yeah, you know, there's no concern about the person as an individual. It's more about like, here's what I need you to do and how fast I need you to do it. Get it done back in my day, you know, here's how this worked.
0: I know those types of conversations and I agree. I think it drives people away, but also, yeah, they're not gonna wanna serve clients at a high level if they're being treated in that manner. So that's, I think it's a great one. Um, okay, the second one here, and I had no idea which direction we were gonna go with this because we could have gone really broad and we could have said, let's talk about, you know, service model, like really broad, or we could have be really specific. Um, mine's kind of a specific sure. one.
1: It's a lot of buildup, I hope I it's know, good.
0: It's, it's okay. So I was, um, you know, recently last week I was on vacation, right. And my wife and I were in Chicago and we stayed at the Ritz, right. And the Ritz is known for what service, right? It's like, it's, it's the epitome of great service. And, uh, and, and it, overall it was, it was, a, it was a great experience. We're at 10 o'clock at night. I'm upstairs first night. I'm, I'm brushing my teeth and I'm like, oh, I'm, I'm an avid flosser. I'm like, I need floss. I have floss. I forgot to pack floss, so I called down to the front desk and I said, "Hey, um, curious. Do you guys happen to have any floss?" And the guy who answers the phone says, "Nah." <laughs> he said, "Nah," and I was like,
1: "What?" You, did, was, you like a double take, like you called the wrong number yeah, or something. <laughs> I did.
0: I, did think so. I was like, "Oh," and I said, "Um." I said, what, you you don't have any, anything or, you know, anything, no floss or anything like that. And he said, I said, no, like toothbrush kit or something. He said, nah, we ain't got nothing like that down here. And I was like, okay, and I hung (laughs) up, right? (laughs) But to me, that was one, that was not a great experience. So here's my lesson with this one is, don't be too casual with your language. I think that like, you know, when you're thinking about high level service, there's a time and place like to kind of elevate your, your language a little bit. I mean, he could have said, I'm so sorry, sir. Unfortunately, we don't have anything right now. You know, like he could have said that. But when he said, nah, like that was just, it's like he was talking to his buddy. Right. That's what it felt like. Yeah. Don't be too casual. So when you're thinking about team members or if you're catching a team member who's talking to someone and you hear them using language, it's kind of too like, I don't know how to say it, too casual is the only way I can say it. You need to correct them on
1: that. Yeah, and that's a weird and awkward thing to do sometimes that yeah. when you overhear a team member's conversation and it doesn't go exactly like you planned, if you don't have the habit of giving them feedback, good yeah. or bad, it can be a little bit awkward to bring that up. Yeah. But over time, if you're not gonna help groom them, who is?
0: That's right. And so if I were the manager at that Ritz, I would, if I would've overheard that, I would've said, hey, like, let's not use that. Like, let's, let's yeah. refine we're, your language a little
1: bit. We're ladies and gentlemen
0: serving ladies and gentlemen. That's their whole mantra, right? They have it on business cards. It's not like, nah. anyway
1: all right uh number two and i think this one is uh one of the biggest for me but i would say in terms of service focus on response times
0: Mm, that's a good one
1: and what i mean by that is just you know and this can vary by tier of client we talk a lot about segmentation and service models and that sort of thing i would say for your top tier of clients it is a drop everything mentality that if they call with something they need any kind of request it is it's like all right, we're on it, all hands on deck. Let's, let's get this turned around for them. Yeah. I, I love that. Anybody that I've ever worked with, uh, any other professional who gives me that kind of attention, I remember it. Yeah. And I recommend them more. Like It shapes my whole perception of them that I know if I can call, uh, you know, fill in the blank, and they're going to call me right back if I don't catch them, that's a huge asset.
0: And, and I'll tell you, I think that that's a, a mantra that I think you do really well like I think with anyone, like if you we were dealing with outside vendors or anything like you, you're always fast. And I remember when I started, right. And I started, Stephen started before me. Right. And he trained me on a lot of things. And I remember you saying like, they love at XYZ company when I get back to them really quick. I remember you saying that to me multiple times and, and they do, they're like, wow, because even in their world that they live in this very corporate environment, they're not used to that. Yeah. Shoot them an email and you got an email right back with an answer.
1: Yeah, and it's a good reminder. I, I remember having that conversation with you, yep. and you you do when you give somebody that just immediacy, they love it. It's something I could probably do a better job of now. You get yeah. away from things like that from time to time, um, but it's uh, I it's think impressive. also impressive. I I agree, and I think it's also partly a generational thing that when you're dealing with younger and younger clients, they're from a world of immediate response, chat on the website, yeah. text messaging back and forth. There's more, you know, more of a, a sense of like, this ought to be done quickly.
0: Yeah, Slack messages, right? Yeah. Like, like let's, let's do it quick. Okay, that's, that's, a, that's a great one. All right, the next one I have, and again, I'm, I'm going a little out of the box with these, uh, but this is a lesson that I learned waiting tables. And the um, owner of this restaurant kind of ingrained this in me, and I'm not good at it. I'm actually terrible at this, you know, to, to try and be self-aware here. But what he said is that, you know, when you are, with the customer, nothing else exists. And I was like, what do he, what does he mean by that? He was like, when you're at their table and you're chatting with them about what they're ordering or whatever it is, he's like, you need to tune out everything else. They're the focus be in the moment with them. So like, you know, someone's popping their head in asking you a question. It's like, Hey, that's not the time, right? I'm with them right now. You know, and he said, just be more in the moment with them and they can tell. Like they can tell if you're present or not.
1: Mm-hmm. I like it. Yeah, it's good. It's tough. He it's good.
0: he really ingrained that in me because I was bad. I was like, oh, what's next? Like I'm looking at another table who that person needs water and this part, you know, it's like no, no, no. You're here with them. Focus on them.
1: It's like sometimes when we're in meetings together back here. And that's what I was gonna say.
0: That's why I'm telling. That's why I'm telling and, uh, you uh, that I'm not great at this because I. You know, how,
1: you, know how you can know when when Kevin is like kind of phasing out or like thinking about something <laughs> else is when someone's like, uh, and, and Kevin. Yeah, and uh, you snap to attention. (laughs) You snap to attention, right? You know, in fairness, what's interesting is that Kevin. This is uh, you know a good and bad trait. What Kevin is thinking about is something legitimately very helpful for work that is on his brain at the moment. Right. Um, I'm not planning.
0: I'm not planning a vacation or something. No, but
1: but it's also yeah. I I could see that being. But uh, but if
0: you're an advisor, right, and you're with the client, you're on the phone with the client, you're in a Zoom meeting with the client, you're nothing else matters at that moment. Focus on them.
1: All right, uh, next one up. Own your failures. Okay. So every business makes mistakes. We make mistakes. Mm -hmm. Everybody does. But how we uh, hold ourselves accountable for that, how we react to that, really shapes the client's perception of how good our service is. Here's an interesting stat for you. Roughly 61% of customers say they would switch to a new brand after one bad experience wow one yeah so you for example if you were feeling really uh really put off by this comment at the ritz may say yeah next time i'm going to try the peninsula you know next time i'm going four seasons whatever it is right uh but that's a stat by zendesk i thought that was pretty interesting that is i think the two big ones for me are when people are either defensive about a mistake they've made or nonchalant about the mistake Mm. Defensive yeah. saying, you know, that it was not, you know, that was more on, you probably should have taken some action on your side. That's not something that we really handle. Nonchalant being like, uh, ah, you know, it's not, we'll, we'll move on from this. Not really a big deal. You know, we, we've had both here yeah. as a company and of working course. with various yeah. vendors. Uh, there's one vendor right now that we're in the market to replace because of their nonchalant attitude towards repeated mistakes. Right. Right. Um, but yeah, that, those are biggies. I think when you have a mistake or a perceived mer- mistake on on the part of the client, we go over and above both in apologizing, but making sure it's resolved and that we have good energy about it.
0: Right. Yeah, exactly. And a lot of times it's, yeah, you have to fall on that sword and you just have to say, I'm sorry, we made a mistake, right? And, and this is our bad and here's how we're going to fix it.
1: Yeah. Even if it's only partially your, your fault.
0: Exactly. Like you don't make, it, it doesn't benefit you to fight that fight sometimes.
1: Yeah. It doesn't benefit you to say, well... We probably could have read the agreement more closely, but really on your side. No, just, you know, right. next time we should have read it more closely.
0: That's a good one. Okay. Here's here's my my next one, and I think it relates to what you're talking about. So on this vacation, we stayed at two different hotels. <laughs> so we stayed at the Ritz, right, which was great. We stayed at the Shinola Hotel, which is in downtown Detroit, right? I have a Shinola watch on for anyone who is a, is a fan. And when we got to that hotel, we checked in early and they let us in. We went to the room and at the, in the room, there was a bottle of champagne in the room and there was a card that said, Mrs. John, I don't know. Mrs. John seems weird to me, but it said, Mrs. John. So happy that you're back with us. Happy anniversary and a bottle of champagne and, and like two champagne flutes. And I was like, Oh, Michelle, we're, we're in the wrong room. This is not our room. Right? So we, I called down and I say, Hey, I just want to let you know, like there's, um, A bottle of champagne here and a little note for someone that's not us. And, um, are we in the right room? And first off they made a mistake, right? Like they made a mistake putting us in a room that they had already planned for someone on their stay. Right. Right. Which is like, they're not, and they didn't own it. Instead she said, well, I thought I was doing you a favor by letting you check in early. (laughs) And I was like, um, yeah, I said we're fine. We're fine. But I just don't want someone coming knocking on this door and thinking that like this is supposed to be their room. There's a there's a bottle of champagne and a note for someone else and about their anniversary and it's not us. And then she said, "I was doing you a favor by getting you checked in early." And I was like, "This is like just poor service." So, um my mine is, you know, attitude is everything, and I know everyone says that, but like she had a little bit of an attitude about it, and I don't think you can be great at service and customer service if you have an attitude, even like an inkling of it, it just rubs people the wrong way. And I love that hotel. I think it's a really cool hotel if you've ever stayed there, but that was just not a great experience.
1: Yeah, a rough trip. I had a rough trip. I'm seeing some
0: commonality uh,
1: here though. Are you giving am, off some am, attitude am, am, to these am people? Am
0: I the common denominator? <laughs> but first off, we we're like splurging, staying at these really cool hotels, and you just kind of expect a certain level of service and you yeah. not see it. Anyway.
1: All right, mine is to uh, for at least your top tier clients to adapt your communication to their preferences. And uh, and I don't say that for every client. Like when we talk about having service models, part of the reason for that is so that you can be regimented and say that. Every client in this tier gets X number of calls, video meetings, in-person meetings, and so forth. But for your top client tier, I think it's important for everybody on the team to know their preferences for email, phone call, in-person, virtual, <laughs> text, um, any other way that you're able to communicate with them because... Uh, like we're all pretty wired into our own preferences. Yeah. Like I have a hard preference for text over phone calls, Agreed. as do you. Agreed, Right. yep. Um, so if you were, I know there's certain things obviously that you can't text back and forth with, but if you were scheduling an appointment with me, shoot me a text. Yes. I'll get back with you within, if I have nothing else going on within minutes, as opposed to if you left me a voicemail, I am not checking it.
0: I would love to know some stats on this because I feel like response rates for texts have got to be way higher. They're way easier. Yeah. Yeah.
1: But I think conversely to that, if you have a client who really is, is more formal, Mm -hmm. they're more used to in-person meetings. They're more used to getting letters from you. I I asked an advisor one time that I worked with, I said, why? I just had a curiosity. Why do you send so many letters to clients? Right. He's like, just the way we've always done it. They expect it. They don't get my Christmas letter. I'm like a letter. I would. There's no chance I would look at it,
0: <laughs> unless it was like handwritten. Maybe I don't
1: know. Yeah, like that. But otherwise, I don't look at the mail. There's nothing ever that comes for me that's exciting. No, no one's
0: ever <laughs> ever pumped to get the mail. So, um, unless it's maybe like Amazon packages or something. I
1: also I saw a, uh, a stat that it said uh, millennials prefer live chat for customer service over every other communication channel. Yeah, which doesn't mean that much to you now because your prime clientele is not a millennial. Uh, but it does speak to the fact that short form communication is going to be more and more the norm, Mm -hmm. short form written communication, whether it happens via a text or an app of some sort, uh, something we'll need to embrace.
0: This is, that's a perfect segue into my next one. And my next one seems counterintuitive when it comes, when you're thinking about service, but I do think it makes a difference. And that is help them help themselves. And I know you're thinking, what the heck does that mean? what I mean by that is there's sometimes where I don't want to talk to someone, where I don't want to even live chat with someone, but like I can look through an FAQ on your website or I can, you know, maybe as an advisor you record videos of like how to access your account or how to I don't I don't know what whatever it is, right? Like help them help themselves sometimes so that they can have that resource available to them. You could have a whole library and, and, you know, we have a video program where advisors outsource this kind of stuff to us, but we could, you could create a whole series of videos that are helpful videos that things that you say on a regular basis that you can send to them, or you can have available on your website where they can help themselves. And I think that does impact the overall experience.
1: I like it. Building scalability as well. You know, as you think about how to service more people with limited resources, video helps. Yep. Uh, the last one for me is that, in general, there are a lot of financial advisors out there who could take segmentation and service models more seriously. There are, again, some people on here who probably do that beautifully, but probably some people on here uh, listening to this who are a little too reactive, mm-hmm. who their service is dictated by you know, a certain number of days since they last called a client or when the client last reached out to them, that you know, especially in those top tiers, we probably need to segment more often for many people. And to be more diligent in how we're checking in on whether or not that service model is being executed. So, for example, if part of your service model is that someone on your team is calling this person once a quarter uh, and that two in-person meetings are happening, at the end of the year, did these things, in fact, happen? Mm-hmm. Because there's a lot of teams who have great service models on paper and they are in no way being executed.
0: Right. That's great. I mean, it, you're right. It's It's a great concept. It makes a ton of sense. But is it actually being done on a consistent basis.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's boring to talk about. How often are you meeting with people? But you know, this is that the kind of regular communication that solves a lot of problems out there about keeping their growth expectations in line, mm-hmm. about helping them understand what it is that, that you deliver in total, about what they're paying, about all these things. Right. That the more you're in contact with them you know, the, the smoother it all is.
0: The more opportunities emerge. That's right? right. You know, the more referrals happen, the more sourcing names happens, the more, um, you know, you uncover that they have assets elsewhere and then you thought you had everything like you just, that regular communication does make a big difference. Um, that's a good one. All right. My last one here, I think this rounds out are 10 and this one kind of goes unsaid a little bit, but I hire, hire great people, right? When you think about, you know, hire people who, when they come in for an interview, like you could picture putting them in front of a client and they would be just fine. You know, there's sometimes when you, when you're interviewing people and stuff, they just have, I don't know, maybe it's a little bit of an attitude or a chip on their shoulder or whatever. Like don't hire those people, hire people who maybe even come from the service industry and have had to do that. They're just really good at dealing with complaints, tough situations, um, You know, I, I, like I said before, I admire people who've worked in those industries. I've worked in that industry. Um, It just, it, it, it changes how you engage with people. It gives you a different perspective that a lot of other people who've never worked and had to serve someone else. They don't have that.
1: Yeah. And as consumers, we see the good and the bad. You had some bad examples there. I thought about it the other day when we were at the beach, Uh, we were playing, you know, one of the little mini golf courses. Yeah. Uh, And. As we were out there, a storm rolls in. So we go up under the shelter of this cabana hut thing and we're chatting up the the young lady who was working there. And I thought, she I don't know what she would do at our company, but she would really fit in well. Yeah. Just enjoyable, conscientious. Yes. You know, and I'm like, I, I, you can teach the hard skills. Yes. And I think that's a lesson that we have learned over the years is that if someone meets the qualifications on paper, That's like, you know, that's not as important as somebody who meets the qualifications in conversation. Yes. Like if you like them when you're talking to them, that's a huge deal. It is. I mean, it's not to say that they have to be just like you. You want some, you know, diversity and opinion there. But it is that if they're going to be in a service role, you have to enjoy their company.
0: Yeah. You have to, you have to to think about it like a client can't dread getting on a call with them.
1: Somebody can go and get licensed. They yes. can't go and get a personality, you know,
0: uh, oh, that's, That that should good. be a quote card. Oh, that, is, that, is that your new quote? Yeah, I think that's, yeah we'll, we'll right put down. it as like a reel. we'll make it cool. Put a little video behind it, you know, but, uh, you know, <laughs> you can't get a new personality. You
1: can't, yeah. uh, it's very hard at least.
0: Well, and I think it goes back to like a lot of the personalities ingrained in you and it's from your experiences and life experiences. And if they've worked at a job where they've had to deal with that, they have had to de- be face to face with customers who sometimes have issues, right? You, you learn a different skill set that's not taught in any sort of school ever.
1: So gang, uh, if you haven't uh, thought about it as of late, our coaching program is a great fit right now when there's so much in flux, uh, when there's a lot of market volatility out there, coaching is a way to help you be your best self. Mm-hmm. It, it's a way for you to do those tough activities on a regular basis whether you really feel like it or not because there's accountability there mm-hmm. so when you're thinking about those actions either being team focused or service related or marketing focused when you've got somebody on our team who's there to say hey kevin we talked about these three things last time. How much progress did we make? Right. Let's push the pace. You're going to do more with the help of a coach than you would do on your own. It's so, like
0: having a personal trainer, right? Like if yeah. you, It's rather like, hey, yes, I signed up for a gym membership. Cool. Well, what about when you have that personal trainer who's like waiting for you and you have an 11 o'clock and you're, they're waiting on you? And when you're there, they're going to make sure it's a good workout.
1: Yeah, for sure. So if you haven't done it in a while, take us up on a coaching consultation. We'd be happy to chat with you to see if there's a fit. Otherwise, thanks for joining, everybody. Be sure to like and subscribe. And we will catch you next time. Thanks, everyone.